Hey, welcome to Central Christian Church Online. Uh, my name is Tim. I get the honor of serving as, as one of the pastors here. And uh, we're, we're glad that you've tuned in as we continue our series through the book of Philippians. And we've been studying joy. Uh, in this short book, it's only, only four chapters, take you about 10 or 15 minutes to read the whole letter to the church of Philippi. But over and over again, Paul writes about joy. 11 times he would write the word joy or rejoice in the midst of extru- extremely difficult circumstances circumstances, Paul maintains joy and he's teaching us how how we can have joy regardless of our circumstances as well. Well, by way of introduction, it was in 2010 that Ellen Lathram uh, transformed her Pilates studio uh, to create a high intensity workout, a 60 minute workout that would combine endurance and strength and power. In this 60-minute workout, uh, their hope was that for, for, for Ellen and her associates that participants would reach what they called the orange effect. You say, well, what's, what's the orange effect? Well, the orange effect is where participants uh, reach, the, reach this, this level where they're burning calories at such a rapid pace that their body continues to burn calories for 36 hours after the workout. This workout method became extremely popular. Uh, You may have heard of it. It, It's called Orange Theory Fitness. We have several Orange Theory Fitness centers right here in San Jose. And across America, there are over 1,200 Orange Theory Fitness centers. Uh, Well, today I want to not just talk to you about Orange Theory Fitness, uh, but I want to talk to you about Joy Theory. Uh, how, How to reach this state that we can experience the joy effect. Uh, because the Apostle Paul in these, these next few verses in Philippians uh, 1, 19 through 26, he's going to give us a, a, a workout. He's going to kind of give us the, these principles, these practices that we can apply to our life to work out joy in our life. Here's the thing that you and I need to understand. Uh, on one hand, God gives us joy. One of the fruits of the Spirit is joy. It's what the Holy Spirit produces in our life. But on the other hand, it's our job, it's our responsibility to cultivate joy, to, to, to tend to joy in our own hearts, in our own lives. Uh, this is really a, a spiritual principle that we see over and over. Uh, God has given you a gift. He's given all of us spiritual gifts, but, but it's our responsibility not only to cultivate our natural talent and abilities, but to cultivate our spiritual gifts, to tend to them, to cultivate them, to use them on a daily basis. Uh, God has gifted you with finances, but it's your responsibility to tend to those finances, to cultivate those finances, to steward those finances well. Well, well, God has given us not only those things, but he's given us unity. One of the beautiful things about being a follower of Jesus is the same spirit that God has given me. He's given you the same Holy Spirit. And it's our responsibility to maintain the unity of the spirit. Or, or as Paul would write in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3, he says this, make every effort. It's, a, it's kind of this phrase that's like dripping with sweat. Like it's going to take some intentionality. It's going to take some energy. It's going to take some work. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. 
Listen, as followers of Jesus, it's one of our responsibilities to tend to, to cultivate unity among us. In other words, whenever we have disagreements about certain things, it's nothing wrong with having disagreements. Having unity is not about uniformity. It's about having this understanding that there's something that supersedes any disagreement we could ever have. And that's the Holy Spirit working in our lives. And so while we may disagree on certain topics that are in the headlines today, we can still maintain unity. We can still love each other. We can have disagreements. We can talk about it, hash things out. But at the end of the days, we're locking arms, unified on this mission of helping people find and follow Jesus. But it's something we got to make every effort to fight for. We got to work to maintain that reality. And when it comes to joy, the Holy Spirit gives us joy, but we got to work to maintain it. We got we to put some exercise practices into our life to cultivate joy. And so this week and next week, we're going to be be getting a workout routine from the Apostle Paul, a combination of strength, endurance, and power that will produce joy much longer than 36 hours after this message or into our week. And so for the next two weeks, I just want to welcome you to Joy Theory. And really, joy is vital to your life and mine. Nehemiah 8.10 says this, For it is the joy of the Lord that is your strength. Listen, if you're going to be strong in the Lord and the power of his might, then you must live a life of, of joy. we got to cultivate joy. we got to work to maintain it. I mean, joy, when we're talking about joy, it's not a luxury. It's a necessity. Our testimony is either increased or decreased based on our joy. One of the saddest advertisements for Christianity is a grumpy Christian. And don't elbow anybody sitting next to you. Uh, But listen, this is important for us to grasp. And we have to work for it. we got to fight to maintain it. Harvard Health and Medicine uh, wrote an article entitled, Good Genes Are Nice, But Joy Is Better. And here's what the research shows. It shows that, that joyful people experience less chance of having a heart attack. I mean, who, how many of you want that? Uh, having joy produces less cholesterol. It lowers cholesterol. It decreases stress levels. It, it produces a stronger immune system, fewer aches and pain. I mean, life without joy is painful. But not only that, it will result in a longer life. I'm just saying joy in your life is a big deal. And not only will joy improve your witness, not only will joy sustain you in the midst of life's ups and downs, and not only will joy strengthen you, but joy will allow you to live a stronger life spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, relationally. I mean, joy impacts the whole, the whole person. So let's pick up where we left off last week to get some context of what Paul's talking about here in Philippians chapter one. In Philippians chapter one, verse 18, you may remember Paul makes this profound statement. He says, but what does it, what does it matter? You remember Paul, he's, he's being attacked by fellow Christians. And here's this man who's in jail from, from people falsely accusing him. He's, he's chained to a Roman guard uh, day and night. I mean, he, life's not going well for him. But not only is there challenges on the outside, there's problems from the inside as fellow Christians are, are causing trouble for him, saying hurtful things about him, saying things that are untrue, trying to malign his character, trying to pull down the effectiveness of his ministry. And rather than, than, than giving a, a defense for himself, rather than giving angry and lashing out at them. What does Paul say? What does it matter? This could literally be translated, so what? As long as the gospel's being preached, what does it matter? Listen, Paul was a man who was not easily offended. 
And we live in a culture today that is very easily offended, very quick to cancel, very quick to write off. God, help us to be people with thicker skin and more tender hearts. What does it matter? Will it matter a thousand years from now? If not, maybe we just take this posture of Paul and say, hey, what does it matter? Unless it's going to impact eternity, what, what does it matter? Not easily offended. It's Proverbs 19.11 that says this, good sense makes one slow to anger and it is his glory to overlook offense. Listen, it's to your glory to overlook an offense, to take this posture like Paul and say, what, what does it matter? Philippians 1.18 goes on to say this, but what does it matter? The important thing is this, that in every way, whether from false motives or true, that Christ is preached. That's what matters. And because of this, as long as Christ is preached, Paul says this, I rejoice. And he doubles down because this was abnormal in the culture then, just as it's abnormal in our culture today. But he says, and yes, I will continue to rejoice. Paul has joy because people are finding and following Jesus, which is his ultimate goal in life. So Paul's already told us, man, he's, he's got joy in the midst of unprecedented circumstance. He has joy because people are, are following God. He has joy because the gospel's being preached. But what we're going to look at today after this is that Paul has joy for a few other reasons. And so we're going to, to give you two things to work out in your life. Paul's going to give us two things to work out in our lives this week and then four things to work out in our life next week so that we can experience this joy theory. It was Samuel Johnson who said this. He said, people need to be reminded more often than they need to be instructed. So Paul's going to offer us a reminder. For some of you, this will be a reminder. For some of you, this will be brand new information. But for all of us, when we work these realities out into our lives, they will produce joy and make us stronger in the Lord. So here's the first principle. If you're taking notes, here's the first fill in the blank. Joy comes. We remember God is at work in our lives. Joy comes when we remember God is at work in our lives, in the good times, in the bad times, in the, in the pleasant times, the mountaintop, but also in the valley. And I recognize that some of you are facing circumstances today that are far from ideal. Uh, some of you are facing some very cringe-worthy moments in your life. And perhaps on the inside, you feel like what's happening to these people in this video on the outside. Check it out. Oh, 
That's some of my favorite Instagram reels right there. But I, I show you that to highlight this point, that even in the cringeworthy moments of our lives, when, we, when what's happening to them on the outside, we feel like that on the inside, I want to remind you today that God is still at work in your life. God is working the good times. God is at work in the challenging times. I mean, life is full of surprises. Life is full of difficulties. We talked about this a bit last week. As Paul is writing this letter, he is chained 18 inches from a Roman guard. He's living in a, a one-room prison cell with his toilet, his bed, and everything else right there. And, and it's a humiliating experience for Paul. He's been, been unjustly tried. He's been in prison four years. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by vipers. He's nearly been beaten to death. And all the while, Paul says in this letter, he has joy. How is that? How can that be? Paul has joy remembering that God is always working regardless if he sees it, regardless if he feels it, regardless if he understands it. Isn't it nice to know today that you're not on your own? Isn't it nice to know today that you're not left to drift on the sea of life, but rather there is a God in heaven who sees you, who knows you, who cares about you, that God is at work in our lives, working everything together for our good and for his glory. And when we remember that, when we embrace that, when we cultivate that, when we tend to that in our own hearts, in our own lives, it produces joy. Let's look at it in Philippians Chapter one, verse 19, Paul says this, and I know, I know. This is an interesting word here. In our English Bibles, it's translated from Greek in the New Testament, but this word in the Greek is oida, oida. That word literally, it carries this idea of absolute conviction based on experience. Kind of like the law of gravity. Like I have absolute conviction based on experience that the law of gravity exists. It's been said that the bigger they are, the harder they fall. And I'm a big guy and I've fallen pretty hard a few times. And so based on my experience, I carry this absolute conviction that the law of gravity exists. That's what Paul's saying here. Uh, For I have this absolute conviction based on my firsthand experience that through your prayers and through the help given by the Holy Spirit, that what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. What Paul's saying here is a general, general principle of scripture. He's saying, I've seen this situation before. Not only have I read about it from the heroes of the faith, but I've experienced this firsthand. I know it's, it's, what, it's part of the fabric of who I am. It's an absolute conviction that even in this situation that looks horrific, God is at work. I know it. God's working in my circumstances for my good and for my deliverance. Philippians 1.6 says this, uh, being confident of this. Paul's already written to us. We've, we've talked about this, but he says, being confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it into completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He's saying, God is at work in you. He started a work. He's working now. Now he's going to continue to work until the day Jesus Christ returns. Philippians 2.13 says this, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his good purpose. Romans 8.20 says this, and we know, there's the word again, oida, I know firsthand based on my personal experience, I carry this absolute conviction based on what I, I, I've seen, based on, based on what I've experienced, that in all things, the good things, the bad things, the pleasant times, the challenging times, the good days, the bad days, when things are going well, when everything's spiraling out of control, in all things, God is at work for the good, those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. 
Take joy today knowing God is at work. Listen, if you love God, if you're following him, he's working all things together for your good. He's at work in your life. Take joy. I love this psalm. Uh, it's probably one of my favorite scriptures in all of the Bible. I, I quote it to myself all the time, and here it is in Psalm 37, 23, and it says this, the Lord directs the steps of the godly. He delights in every detail of their lives. He directs the steps of the godly. God is working. He's working. How is he working? He's directing your steps. This is one of the greatest promises for followers of Jesus, that if you're walking with God, you can take confidence today knowing he is directing your steps. Maybe you're in this online experience and maybe someone invited you or you're just hanging out in the living room and you just happened to, to listen to this or maybe you just stumbled onto the podcast or maybe you're looking for something. You don't even know what that something is that you're looking for. Let me just tell you that one of the greatest advantages of being a follower of Jesus is that you can know that the creator of the universe is directing your steps as you follow Jesus. He's directing your steps that there's nothing you're gonna experience that hasn't already been filtered through the hands of your loving heavenly father. And listen, if you're a child of God, that is the confidence that you can have while navigating life. If you're a follower, not yet a follower of Jesus, then you don't have that confidence yet. But today at the close of this message, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to make Jesus the leader, the forgiver of your life. And today everything can change and you can live your life knowing that God, the creator of the universe, he's directing your steps. It goes on to say this, not only does he direct our steps, but he delights. I love that word. He, he, I could probably underline and highlight every single word in this, this verse, but he delights. I would underline that if you have your Bible handy. He delights in every detail of their lives, not just the big things, but the small things. Have you ever been around someone that they, they pray about everything? like weird things, like maybe you're at the, the grocery store and they pray about their parking space, you know? Uh, and and some, to me, it comes like, ah, oh, okay, whatever. But, but, but I would say this in regards to that, like as your faith is, let it be unto you. And God cares. This is what the verse teaches. He delights. Some things that you don't even care about, God cares about. Uh, today, I, I, was, I bought my baby girl a new, new water bottle. Does she care about it? I don't know, but it brought me joy. I delight in the details of her life. Listen, and your heavenly father, he delights in every detail of your life, the things you care about, the big things, the small things, everything. He's at work. He's at work. I'm just saying, just knowing that, it changes my perspective about everything I could ever face in life, and it brings me joy. So remember today, God is at work in your life. Cultivate that reality into the fabric of who you are. Encourage others with that reality and it'll produce joy in your life in the midst of every season's highs and every season's lows. The second uh, practice that the Apostle Paul is gonna give us to produce joy in our life is this, that joy comes when we believe God answers prayer. Uh, joy comes, we can cultivate, we can tend to joy in our life. We remind ourselves when we live with this understanding that, and believe that, that God, there's a God in heaven and he hears us, he sees us, he knows us and he's a God who answers prayer. Philippians 1.19 reads this. He says, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the spirit of Jesus Christ, that what has happened to me will actually turn out for my deliverance. 
What's, what blows my mind about this verse is that he says, that I know through your prayers. I mean, this is, this is the apostle Paul. I'm, if I'm reading that, logically I'm thinking Paul's writing, I know that through my prayers, because God hears my prayers. I mean, the apostle Paul, like he's, he, he's written uh, one third of the New Testament. Like this is a guy who's planted churches all over the place. Like this is a guy who his handkerchiefs have been taken to the sick and they've been healed. Paul, he's seen the dead people rise from the dead in the power of Jesus. Like Paul is a man of prayer. Paul is a man of faith. Paul is a man who knows how to get a hold of God. But he doesn't say through my prayers. He says through your prayer. Through your prayer, I know that through your prayers, God's going to bring about my deliverance. Paul's a man who understands the value of having people pray for him. Does Paul know how to pray? Yes. Is Paul praying? I mean, he's in a Roman prison cell, chained to a Roman guard. You better believe he's praying. But what does Paul say? He says it's because of the prayers of the church that are going to help him. Paul knows that while God answers his prayer, it, is, it does not negate the necessity of calling, inviting, and asking people to pray for him as well. Listen to that. It's a necessity. The apostle Paul does it. How, how much more should you and I? It reminds me of, of, of Jesus when he teaches us how to pray. How does he teach us to pray? In Matthew 6, 9 through 13, he says this, Our Father... In heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Then it shifts to, to, to praying for current needs. He says, give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those who, who, who have, as we have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Not once in that prayer is it me, my, I. It's always God, and then us together. It assumes we're praying for other people in our lives. We see this practically applied in the book of Acts, and I'm not gonna camp out on here very long, but it's, it's a very, very interesting passage that puts an exclamation point on this, this, this topic. In the book of Acts, chapter 12, uh, King Herod has, has died. King Herod is the, the king that was ruling whenever Jesus was born. And he, he kind of started this genocide in the land as he tries to wipe out uh, this baby who was born king of the Jews. And Mary and Joseph, Jesus' mom and dad, they flee to Egypt. Well, well King Herod is the, the grandpa of the guy who's now ruling, and it's Herod Agrippa. And Herod, he's, he's kind of a ruthless guy. Herod was the Roman leader trying to win over these Jewish subjects in Israel that he's, he's responsible for. And one of the things he does is he takes James, the brother of John, one of the 12 disciples, and he has him beheaded. The Jewish people in the area were very excited that such a prominent Christ follower was killed. And so Herod thinks, man, this is great. I found a way to win these people over. And so he has the apostle Paul arrested and plans to have him beheaded as well. I mean, things are not looking good. Uh, sorry for Peter. He has Peter arrested and plans to behead him. And so, so here's Peter. He's sitting in prison, waiting for his execution. And the whole, whole chapter in, in Acts chapter 12, it hinges on this one verse, Acts chapter 12, verse 5. Check it out. It says, so Peter was kept in prison. Like, like the trajectory for Peter isn't good. He, he's not only in prison, he's headed to have his, his head chopped off. It says this, but... 
and everything changes. But the church was earnestly praying to God for him. Peter's about to have his head chopped off, but everything changes with that one phrase. The church was earnestly praying. If it was only Peter praying and and that's what changed everything, then, then they would say, because Peter was praying, God did this and this. But he says, no, because the church was earnestly praying, things changed. The remainder of the chapter, you can read it for yourself in Acts chapter 12, Peter is miraculously freed from prison and, and Herod Agrippa dies suddenly. I'm just saying God moves when the church prays. Honestly, that's why we have those online prayer requests and we'll, we'll post it in the chat right now. Uh, but every week we, we give an opportunity to, for you to let us know what's going on in your life and how can the church be praying for you because God moves when the church is praying. Uh, we, we pray every single week for those prayer requests. Uh, you can let us know if it's, if it's okay to share. And if it is, then hundreds of people will be praying for whatever is happening in your life. If you want to keep it private, then it just goes to the staff and elders. And it would be our joy to pray for you. But every week, this week, whatever you're facing, it would be our joy to pray for you. And God will work in the midst of it. Here's what I know, though. There's a lot of people in the church that have great needs. And we never hear about them until after the fact. And so someone asked me, why do you think people don't fill out prayer requests? And, and I think it's this. I think people who really, really love God just take this posture that say, you know what? I'm praying. I'm praying myself. I don't think I need to share my personal business with other people. And I'm praying God helps me. But if he doesn't, I'll figure it out. I'll just figure it out. And at the root of that is self-sufficiency. And at the root of self-sufficiency is pride because we're better together. James writes this in James 4, 6. He says, God opposes the proud. That word oppose right there, it means to keep at an arm's distance. It's like this Derrick Henry stiff arm. Like, like he's, he's stiff arms. He, he keeps at an arm's distance people who are proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Listen, you need some grace? Then humble yourself and say, God, I don't have it all figured out. God, as a matter of fact, I'm, I need some people around me to pray. Because God, I need your help. And if you don't help me, I think I'm done here. God, God, I need you. I don't want to just make decisions on my own wisdom. God, I need your wisdom. So would you speak to me? God opposes the proud, keeps them in that arm distance, but he gives grace to the humble. Philippians 1.19 says this, For I know through your prayers it's going to result in my deliverance. Paul says you're praying And I know my deliverance is on the way. You're praying and I'm being encouraged. You're praying, I'm being strengthened. You're praying, I know God is working. You're praying, I know God will answer. That's the power of prayer. When we understand the power of prayer, we invite people to pray alongside us. Listen, when I was sick a few weeks ago, uh, I guess just a couple weeks ago now, um, I knew you were praying. I knew the church was praying. And while I was super weak physically, I felt myself getting stronger spiritually. And at the root of that is you're praying. And through your prayers, I found joy. A matter of fact, the the only reason I'm here is because God answers prayer. Uh, Throughout my life, I've had people praying for me. Listen, I'm I'm not just your pastor today because people prayed. I'm I'm alive today because people were praying. When I was doing my own thing, living life on my own terms, my mom and dad were praying. My grandma was praying. My in-laws, before they ever knew me, were praying for Tiffany's husband. That's me. It's through the prayers of other people that I'm here. 
God rescued me. They were praying in small groups for me, saying, God, open Tim's eyes. He's living life recklessly. Protect him. Don't let him go down with all of his friends. God, God save him. And I'm just saying, God heard those prayers. And he's rescued me. And maybe you're here in this online experience. You're saying, I don't even know why I'm here. Well, I'm so glad you are. And you're not here by accident. We, we've been praying for you. We've been asking God, would you draw people to yourself? And would you use us to help be the bridge for them to connect with you? And so I would just say, you're not here by coincidence. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. He's not mad at you. He desires relationship with you. And you can start that relationship today and you can begin to experience joy. You say, well, how, do, how does all that work? Well, the gospel in, in, a, in the cliff note version of it is that the Bible says that, that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glorious standard. But what's sin? Sin simply missing the mark. Like it's actually an archer term. The archer shooting at a target. When he misses the mark, it's sin. Well, God has standards and we, we've missed the mark. We've sinned. I mean, how many of you have, throughout your whole life have honored your mother and father? Probably no one. How many of you have never told a lie? No one. How many of you have never taken something that's not yours? No one. How many, how many of you have, have lived, lived a life without coveting what someone else has, saying, man, I would really like that car. Man, I wish I lived in that house. Man, I wish I could buy a house. Well, you know, we've all experienced this. And the Bible says that sin and that sin separates us from God. But the beauty of the gospel is that God loves you so much. He desires relationship with you so much that he sent his son, Jesus lived a perfect life, and then on the cross, he died a brutal death. Why? Because your sin required it. My sin required it. On the cross, Jesus pays the penalty for your sin and mine so that we can be made right with God. Our account balance brought to zero. It reconciled, the Bible says, so that now you can know God. You can have a spirit work in your life so you can grow in freedom. He's given you gifts and talents and abilities so you can show your purpose. He's going to fill you with power so you can go change the world. That's the plans God has for you. And that begins by simply surrendering to Jesus. It was the Apostle Paul who wrote to the Romans in the book of Romans. He says this, that if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, like he's the boss, he's the CEO, not only of the universe, but I'm going to make him be the CEO of my life. He's going to call the shots. And you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that you can be saved. Saved from what? Saved from hell for all of eternity? Yeah, that's a part of it. But you can be saved today from a life without joy. You can be saved today without the Holy Spirit in your life. Like you can live this week knowing God's directing your steps. You can be saved from that. That's what the Bible says. And that can all begin in a moment. So if that's you and you want to embark on that journey with Jesus, I invite you to say a prayer like this along with me. Say, God, I know I've sinned. Like you have standards and I've, I've gloriously blown it. But God, I hear about your radical grace. I hear you desire a relationship with me and that you would love me so much that you gave your son and on a cross, he paid the penalty for my sins. I believe that. And be, because of that, my sins can be forgiven. And God, I want that. I'm asking you to forgive me. But Jesus didn't just die on a cross. He rose again. And because he's alive, I'm asking you, Jesus, to come alive in me and fill me with your Holy Spirit. Empower me to face some of the challenges that I'm up against. And God, today, my commitment to you 
is I surrender. I'm gonna let you call the shots from now on. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, hey, if that was your prayer, man, we're so excited for you. Uh, I would love to hear from you. You can text me at 408-944-5402. Just let me know that that was your commitment today. Or you can email us at info at centralsj.org. But let's whoop it up in the chat. We're, we're, we're celebrating with you. The Bible says that all of heaven like erupts in celebration when one person makes a commitment to make Jesus a leader and the forgiver of their life. And I just know God is drawing many of you to him today. And I believe some of you have crossed that line of faith and we're celebrating with you big. We've got some resources. We'd love to get to you, but, but just shoot me a text and now we'll follow up and we can go from there. Well, hey, I hope you apply these joy theory principles into your life. Let's live life knowing that God is at work in our life. Let's live life knowing, knowing that God answers prayer and invite people around us to pray for circumstances and situations that we are facing today because God is a God who answers prayer massage that into your life, work those out into your life, and you can live a life of joy. Look forward to seeing you next week.